Hello, friends, and welcome to the podcast, Coffee and Books. I am your host, Scott, and welcome again if you are new. Don't forget to hit like, share, subscribe, all that, wherever you find this podcast. We want to hear from you. I want to know where you're from. I want to know what you're doing right now, all that good stuff, and how you came to discover my podcast. So please don't forget to email me at scott, S-C-O-T-T, Bernstein, B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N, 16 at yahoo.com. Okay, let's get started. So, we got a lot to talk about today, but don't worry, I'm going to summarize it, make it as awesome and a neat little package for you guys as possible. Okay, so I recently have discovered a new method of drinking coffee, which I want to discuss with all of you. It's called the pour-over method, and I want to talk about the difference between what I was using before and what I'm currently using now. So before, I was using a Keurig. Keurigs are basically the simplest and fastest way to make coffee. Uh, you can buy them in pretty much any store, anywhere. Um, they vary in price greatly, so I was able to find a sort of generic Keurig maker at uh, Walmart You know, for about $10, which is pretty good, and then... Each of the little pods vary, uh, but you know a Keurig machine, a fancier one, can cost over a hundred dollars. And they, of course, have different types of uh, you know devices that they can use to make coffee. Maybe more than just one serving. They might be able to make like frappuccino, cappuccinos. Uh, they might be able to make a little bit more different varying styles depending on the fanciness of what kind of coffee maker you got. But mine was just a plain simple one. You pop it in, you fill it up with water. You get coffee in a short amount of time. So, of course, I loved it because I thought that was the way to go. Um, the only major concern I had with it was the buildup and waste of products, uh, mainly because even though you would get these little plastic containers that are easily throw away, you know, that you could just throw away, they're non-recyclable, and typically they would hurt the environment. Now, there is a way around this. You can buy a little container, which you can wash out and put you know, fresh coffee grinds in, but I felt that it was a little bit more extra time consuming, you know, for what the process was actually meant for. Um, anyway, another factor I was worried about was the cleanliness of the water. When I put it in there, I wondered whether or not that I was actually getting pure quality water. And it turns out, after running a few tests on it, I realized I wasn't. You know, you have to clean Keurig machines pretty regularly, basically because there's a buildup of junk that happens in your Keurig. So if you don't clear it regularly, and I would say, you know, you should do it probably, you know, fairly often, you know, maybe every 60 days or so, or maybe even sooner than that, depending on what color or quality of the water you're seeing, I basically discovered that my Keurig was just basically breaking down and getting dirty. And yeah, I could just go out and buy a new one, but that's what inspired me to try a different method, a, a less wasteful method. Okay, which led me to YouTube and different coffee videos and all kinds of stuff. So let me just say, I discovered recently what I like to call a fancier method for drinking coffee. We call it the pour-over method. Okay, before Keurig's, before Mr. Coffee's, before any of that other stuff even existed, long ago, we had machines that were called the percolators. Okay, now percolators are pretty simple. They're basically like a hot plate that warms up water and coffee grounds sort of together and makes it for a, a decent coffee taste. However, because it's uh, you know heating up the water and the coffee together, it easily burns the beans. So 
Some other options are, of course, which became eventually right after percolator, was the pour-over method, a.k.a. you have a funnel, a glass tube similar to like a chemistry set. It's called like a Chemex bottle, named after the inventor who d discovered it. It basically looks like a geeky science lab, uh, you know, funnel and glass container. In the funnel, you put the grounds in the top, either with paper or with some kind of filtering device, pour the grounds in, then you pour hot boiling water over this, and then you watch as the coffee slowly drips down into the bottom. Uh, obviously, the more water you put in, the faster it kind of comes out, but if you pour it over slowly, you get more uh, sort of coffee tasting. The best way to describe it is the longer the water, hot water interacts with the coffee grounds, the more sort of coffee flavor you're going to get. Not everyone likes a strong cup of coffee, so please keep in mind that for me, I just want coffee the quickest and easiest way possible, like millions of other people. But some people actually care a whole lot about the taste, and this is one way of doing that. By ensuring, by slowly pouring in hot boiling water into this filter system, you guarantee yourself a quality drop in flavor for each drop that goes in. Mainly what I like about it is that it's easily cleanable, and, you know, the biggest thing is that there's not nearly as much waste. My system doesn't even require a paper filter. It has, an, like, sort of an aluminum mesh that catches the grounds over it that's easily washable. And as a result, I basically am contributing less waste to the earth, and that makes me feel really good. Um, it, now, it's not perfect. Uh, like I said, it does come with its a few drawbacks. One of the drawbacks being if you pour hot boiling water and it slowly drips out, sometimes the hot water isn't going to be hot enough. And as a result, your coffee comes out kind of more of a lukewish, warm to sort of hot phase. Uh, most people who make coffee want it coming out piping hot, mainly because then they can let it cool for a minute while they're doing something else and also so they can enjoy that coffee taste while it's very warm. Uh, but of course, some people drink coffee cold too, so maybe this doesn't bother you. Maybe you can just make it that way. Uh, but anyway, I just was saying that was one of the main flaws of the Chemex method that I've been using. Uh, for boiling water, I bought a, a hot plate, like I said, like a hot pitcher. Um, they're really easy. You can go on to Amazon and find this stuff, um, either one. The hot plate, uh, basically the brand I bought was uh, $20, and the Chemex, you know, tube that I bought that, you know, filters the water was about $25. So together for about $45 to about $50 with tax, I guaranteed myself a new way of trying coffee. Fun fact, did you all know that the uh, method, or Sorry, let me restate that. Fun fact, did you know that the most clutter in all kitchens across the world comes from the fact that most people have excessive amount of coffee supplies? See, I did not know that until I started buying coffee supplies, and I realized, yes, I could easily see how this adds up. All right, so now let's get into the book. Today's book is called The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle by Haruki Murakami. Um, obviously, Japanese author here, um, that's what inspired me, again, to read it. Um, I googled best-selling books in Japan. This novel popped up. Um, it is about 607 pages long. It is one of the strangest, weirdest rides I've ever been on in a book. To me, it reminded me very much of the movie Fight Club. If you've ever seen Fight Club, then spoilers, you know absolutely ahead of time that, you know, the main character is crazy. 
you know that he's got a lot of issues to work out. And in the whole story, you're trying to figure out what in the world is going on. But it makes complete sense by the end of the book. This book is like that, except it still does not make sense to me by the end of the book. Uh, so what did I like about it? Uh, okay, so very succinct chapters that basically summarize different characters and their interactions with one another. I felt, however, that the author was introducing characters over the entire length of the book. I didn't feel like everything really made sense and was wrapped up like a normal novel would be. Um, in the sense of if you've ever understood that you know a book that's written in another language, for instance, this book was written in Japanese and then translated into English, you're going to understand that some of it will get lost in translation. And that's sort of how I felt reading this book. That, well, it was, you know, considered one of the greatest novels of, you know, Japan of all time. I felt like as someone who is not a native Japanese person or familiar with their culture, habits, and language, I honestly felt like this book is something that is lost to me. Mainly because this book was set to take place in the 1980s in Japan. A very, very different time than modern Japan is set. So, you have to keep that in mind too. Uh, but anyway... To summarize the plot, basically a main character is going out and trying to figure out what in the world happened to his missing cat. While his cat is gone, his wife leaves him, he runs into some of the strangest people ever, he has fun funny and strange dreams, uh, mainly is you know going through a crisis in his 30s where he recently finds himself quitting his job at a law firm to basically discover that he has no purpose in life and is trying to figure out what in the world life means. And through this novel, we kind of glens of, I think, society's problems. Uh, but basically, summarized in a quick, neat way, this book focuses on themes throughout the novel. Themes of polar opposites, themes of you know, power and what happens when one person tries to grasp power and fails to grasp it. Uh, when one person has pride, when one person has, um, you know, mental health issues are talked about a lot in this book. Um, either way, this book is very interesting and intriguing storyline, and it did keep me engaged enough to read it. But I actually give it a two out of five stars, mainly because, like I said, I can't appreciate it enough. Um, although, you know, some of you out there might be thinking, what, that's crazy, this is one of the best-selling books of all time in Japan, and particularly, it's selling over here quite well in the U.S., why would we not be interested in it? Well, like I said, that's just my personal opinion, but I just didn't like it in the same way. Uh, now, having said that, I will give this author probably another chance, mainly because I want to know, is all, of, is all of his novels this way, or are only some of the novels this way? You tell me, I don't know. But anyway, uh, the, next, the next book I'm going to read is going to be more of a psychology book, which was one of our most popular podcasts, of course, in this series. Um, the next book I'm going to be reading is called Thinking Fast and Slow, and it's going to talk about the different psychological brain inputs that we do. Okay. Anyway, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please again remember to share, hit, like, subscribe, do all that. Um, again, I appreciate you listening to this podcast. I, again... If you are an avid reader, please tell me what you're reading right now. I want to hear from you. I want to know what books I need to review. Thank you so much. Have a good day. This is Scott signing off. Bye.